and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the UP podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. Welcome to episode 114 on May 11, 2023. Uh, you are listening to the Consumer Podcast, as always, on all the different platforms. Please rate it favorably if you can, uh, and if you like it, and recommend it to friends and family uh, who might want to be interested in a podcast half an hour each week with three news stories about consumer issues with very interesting guests. And our guest this week is Victor Vache. He's the COO at IVPN, a virtual private network provider that focuses on privacy. We talk about the importance of VPNs, the differences between different providers, and the challenges for the industry. You'll hear the entire exchange at the end of this episode. And also, if this sounds a bit nosy, it's because my podcast microphone is still not with me, so I'm still speaking to you through an iPhone. Also in this episode, members of the European Parliament want new taxes on multinationals to fund the EU budget, and southern France bans car washing, garden watering, pool filling, and swimming pools altogether. So let's get started. So first we have this story. This week the European Parliament is in plenary session in Strasbourg and they're talking about a new report that calls for taxes on multinationals to fund the EU budget. You might know that uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic a lot of common European debt has been taken up and the question has been how do we pay that back because it's quite a chunk of money and there has been one first EU tax uh, indirectly levied uh, since uh, 2021. There's been a tax on plastic packaging that will be raised by member states and then sent to the EU budget directly. Now, as for now, it's about 1%, a bit over 1% uh, of, uh, of GDP of each EU member state. It has to be paid uh, into the uh, European Union's budget. So the member states are funding the European Union. And a lot of people, including EU federalists, have been asking for direct taxation. So this will be money that goes straight into the coffers of the European Union. You have to know that the European Union doesn't have a tax levy institution, so it doesn't really have the competency of raising taxes. And tax questions are also governed by the European Council uh, with the availability of a veto. So you cannot implement new taxes uh, unless you have everyone's approval. Uh, this report would call for new taxes on multinationals to be to be levied. And that, of course, is a very dicey issue, not only because some EU countries are trying to be very competitive, but also uh, because, uh, well, while well, we're having all the conversation about trying to attract businesses to, uh, to get started in Europe and have big players in the tech world, for instance, uh, those taxes on multinationals might actually scare some people off. And of course, the, uh, the ultimate uh, point here is that there will never be uh, enough uh, for uh, how much needs to be raised. French Renew member of the European Parliament, Valérie Ayer, says, quote, we can't stick to the EU budget being 1% of the bloc's GDP. It's a dogma and a limit we can't work with. Uh, they also say that uh, supporters of the plan, this is in Politico, supporters of the plan pointed out that EU own revenues were always going to be needed to repay the Recovery and Resilience Facility, RRF, so that is the uh, joint EU debt, but also to finance a budget that is taking on more responsibilities from economic security to defense. And of course, um, I find it a bit unfair here for some of those people to say that this is because of the RRF. Um, this has been a call uh, in the European Parliament for many years, many years also prior to COVID-19. 
that this has been an issue for the EU to get it to get its own revenues. And what happens, of course, politically, if the EU gets its own revenues, it becomes more independent from the European Council, which is the representation of the uh, member states of the European Union, and can increasingly decide to um, uh, outspend them on policy, uh, even those that haven't been commonly decided. So that is, of course, a political issue uh, right here. And ultimately, a tax on multinationals would be afforded by the consumer. Corporation tax uh, is usually uh, afforded to by the, by the people who buy the products. The only other actors in a company that can actually pay taxes are uh, shareholders by getting fewer dividends uh, and workers by receiving less in salary. That is ultimately how uh, um, corporations offset those costs or corporation taxes, as we have discussed many times before in this podcast, are ultimately paid by those who buy the products and services. Next up, if you like swimming pools in France, it might be a bad year for you. And that already started eight months ago. The largest aquatic centre in Limoges, in the southwest of France, forced to close its doors without warning. The reason? The energy crisis. Inside, it's completely deserted. All the motors that regulate the pool's temperature are switched off. According to the pool manager, costs would have ballooned from €600,000 to €1.6 by 2022. On the 1st of January, it was costing 100 euro per megawatt, and on the 1st of September, it was going to be 1,000. So it was an economic model that no longer worked. We couldn't increase the entrance fee, so we found ourselves in a bind. It's the same scenario all over France, with about 30 pools nationwide facing closure. In this small town not far from Paris, this municipal pool is unable to keep its doors open any longer. It closed for good this summer. Gas prices the culprit. So this is a story by France 24, and uh, we have updates on this, uh, not actually energy related, but because of a drought in the region of Pyrenees Orientales in, uh, in France, um, this borders Spanish Catalonia. And from the 10th of May, which is yesterday, there will be bans on car washing, garden watering and pool filling uh, at the same time as a ban on garden swimming pools. Uh, so this doesn't affect the the public pools just yet, but uh, but ultimately uh, will uh, impact consumer experiences there uh, for the use of the water. Uh, quote: We need to get out of our culture of abundance, says uh, Christophe Béchu, who is the French ecological transition minister, and he's explaining why authorities had decided to take the step to ban sales of garden pools. Uh, he says it is to prevent people from being tempted to do what they are in fact not allowed to do anyway, which is to fill them. The Pyrénées Orientales is a department that hasn't known a full day of rain in over a year. When you are in crisis like this, it is really quite simple. It's drinking water and nothing else. He also says climate change is here and now we need to get out of our culture of abundance. We need to show far more restraint in how we use resources that we have. The BBC also says a wet March has provided a welcome partial relief to farmers by moistening soil ahead of planting, but underground water levels remain dangerously low, especially around the Mediterranean. Only Brittany and Aquitaine in the southwest are in relatively safe position. Ultimately, my take on this is that uh, we need to have a better uh, accounting for uh, the price of water in many European countries. Water remains subsidized by public infrastructure, so you sort of have a generalized 
system for uh, for how water is used and then of course you fall into the economic trap of the tragedy of the commons um i remember for uh, but prior to the to the individual accounting of water uh, in ireland water was completely free of charge. The government uh, paid for it all and you paid for that through your income taxes. And, and of course, that led to an overuse of water, which Ireland has a bit less of a problem with, of course, because, well, it rains a bit more often than it does in the south of France. But um, this tragedy of the commons did apply also to countries where uh, water is more of a scarcity. So South Africa for many years has had this problem of droughts and of course because water is made um, practically free um, it's just a couple of cents per 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 liter that you are actually paying uh, what we do need is the real price of water and then those people that overuse it uh, will also pay the consequences for that the kind of polluter pay system is best here and ultimately there is uh, uh, the ability to share water, you know, if you have uh, uh, packaged drinking water can be shipped from elsewhere in the country as well. So I don't think there's a real drinking water problem here. Uh, but ultimately, it's, uh, it's innovation that needs to get uh, that needs to needs to, you know, come in here. Um, there are a lot of places in the world that have uh, almost no rain, um, such as in the Gulf, and they do still figure it out. So ultimately, it's uh, the question here should be about real pricing um, of, of of the expensive water and also the accounting for how technology will help alleviate that uh, desalination of water of desalination of seawater becomes increasingly inexpensive as the technology improves and that is something also that countries that have access to the sea um, the south of france is one of them uh, should look into a lot more all right, so we are here with Victor Vache, the COO of IVPN. And Victor, thank you so much for joining the Consumer Podcast. I wanted to get us started right away. A lot of our listeners uh, might be using a VPN and know what a VPN is. But for those who don't, explain what is a VPN and why do I need it? Okay. Hi, Bill. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, so, yeah, starting with the basics about VPNs. Uh, in very simple terms, I will start with a simple but technical explanation. It it encrypts your traffic uh, and your connection between your device that you are using and the VPN server, which exits into the internet unencrypted after. So what that means is, is that anyone who is uh, trying to inspect or eavesdrop or infiltrate on your connection, it can be the your ISP, you know, who's providing your uh, your internet. Uh, the Wi-Fi operator, when you connect to Wi-Fi or a hacker on the same Wi-Fi network, they won't be able to do what they're trying to do because if it's unencrypted, uh, it's much easier or it's very straightforward to do all these things. So uh, that, that's, you know, that's all it does, like commercial VPNs. Of course, we have the corporate VPNs when your corporation or your company is running their own internal VPN. That's, that's a separate issue. We are talking about commercial VPNs here. And uh, that's that's all they do, and they are not a magic tool, uh, you know, for all privacy and security issues. But uh, I guess uh, we might touch on that later. We we absolutely will, and uh, because you mentioned some of those more mainstream VPNs, what they advertise a lot, and let's talk a little bit about the use of VPNs. 
Um, what they advertise a lot is the use of streaming services. I'm somebody who uses this himself as well. For instance, I'm subscribed to HBO, but HBO is not available in the location I'm currently in, uh, which means that I need a VPN in order to use it. That's what a lot of people know. Um, but of course, the use of VPNs goes far beyond that. Um, what are the what, what what do your users and a lot of users in general of VPNs? What do they use it for? Yeah, so the popularity of commercial VPNs have uh, skyrocketed after the uh, Snowden revelations. So IVPN have been around since before then, and uh, we've seen a massive explosion of need uh, for this tool. And yeah, the the IVPN is a privacy-focused VPN, and that means that most of our customers are using it to improve their privacy online and not for the streaming part. Uh, we you know we don't explicitly advertise or support the streaming part. It works in some cases, uh, sometimes it, uh, it don't. But what we uh, you know, usually say that people should use it for is to, yeah, the, the problems that I outlined. So the first is your ISP and your mobile uh, network provider cannot monitor or log your online activity. So in, in the US, uh, it's much, much bigger problem than in the EU. Uh, we have, uh, in the EU, we have a little bit of uh, better regulations in this sense, but still, uh, you know, some uh, developments, uh, let's say in Hungary, for example, uh, the nationalization of uh, all telecoms, it's in progress. That might give you some pause, but I don't want to digress. So uh, th that's the first case, the, the, the privacy use case. The second one is the security, uh, which is, uh, you know, increasing your security on untrusted public networks, so hotels, uh, airports, Wi-Fis. And uh, yeah, and, and it also masks your IP address from websites and servers you connect to. So if you connect so you, to some website that is has some more sensitive information, or let's say US is a good example. In some states, you know, you uh, cannot research, uh, I don't know, abortion, for example, uh, without uh, being spied on. And maybe uh, police will knock on your door. That actually happened uh, a couple of times. So a VPN will help you with that. Uh, the, the, the website won't be able to see your IP address and won't be able to share it with others and uh, you know, law enforcement or data brokers. So that's the, these are the main use cases. So, uh, for instance, then I shouldn't, uh, I guess, open my banking uh, application while I'm staying at a hotel and using the Wi-Fi unless I'm connected to a VPN. But the question, of course, for the users is how much can I trust the VPN that I'm using? Oh, a lot of free VPNs are out there already that people are using. If you go into the app store and you search for VPN, there's a plethora of different uh, applications. A lot of them are uh, free of charge. Uh, what can you tell us about um, the mainstream VPNs, but also about those VPNs that people might be using for sure. free already? Yeah. Uh, so uh, first, the most important thing uh, when picking a VPN should be trust. And that's that's not how people pick VPNs. Uh, if you have a, like a long list of criteria, what kind of device you want to use it on, what kind of speeds you want, where you want the servers to be located, and the price, of course, uh, these are all fair. But the first filter should be whether whether you can trust them or not. And uh, personally, you know, I've been in this business for five years. I evaluated a lot of VPNs. I would personally trust like four, maybe five on the market, which is a very very short list. And uh, what you need to assess is uh, whether they are doing the right things in terms of like what kind of policies they have, uh, what kind of legal guidelines they have, for example, for government requests, um, whether they uh, actually implement all these policies. 
and you cannot 100% trust uh, any VPN. That's my, you know, coming from a VPN provider, that might be weird, but that's the truth. So you can increase your confidence in whether the VPN provider will do the right things. And some VPN providers, like iVPN, is trying to do a lot of things like yearly audits, uh, transparent ownership and team, open source apps. We have a warrant canary. Um, we have very clear legal guidelines. And so we, we are trying to do, uh, and we have also very strict ethical standards. We don't use any kind of third party uh, services where we can, you know, with some, uh, some exceptions. We don't use any trackers on our website. So you can, if you have a, a list of these things that you, that, that you can check, it's not easy, but you need to do it. Um, then you can, you know, separate the, the long list of services that are not doing the right things in this regard uh, to, to the ones that do. And uh, you should pick from, from that list. So the, the, the biggest providers, Express and Nord, I think they are an okay choice for uh, most people, can be, a, can be an okay choice. But if you are concerned about privacy and you have a, some reasons to, to, to be concerned about your privacy, uh, I think you, you need to look uh, beyond these services because for me, uh, some of the things that they do uh, doesn't signal that, that, they, that they're actually privacy advocates. So when they have uh, choices to make, you know, there's always trade-offs in building systems, building infrastructure, uh, building your website, providing the service. You know, I tend to think that that they they prioritize growth and profits uh, above anything else. You know, uh, so that's my that will be my concern. Um, but the about the free VPN services, that's that's where it gets very tricky. Most VPN uh, most free VPN services, ninety nine point nine percent is untrustworthy, especially the ones that you will find on the app stores. Uh, you know, random name, great VPN run by someone in Hong Kong. Uh, you, you know, uh, if it's a free VPN, then your data is the product in some fashion. Either it's getting packaged and sold or either it's run by a government agency. Of course, I don't have like, I can't give you examples. It's mostly unknown, uh, but I think it's a, it's a big problem. And, and Google and Apple is, I think, not doing enough to, to weed these out and, or uh, give enough warnings about that. Well, so it seems to me that for you, this is a type of uh, you standing on principle there because you could easily also work for one of the big Express or NordVPNs and maybe even make more money. So what was that? Was that the motivation for you guys at iVPN to produce a product that is privacy based, um, but might end up making you less money than some of the big guys? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've joined the company five years ago uh, and it was started by... Uh gentleman called Nick, uh, who's the CEO of the company. And we have, we have had long discussions about this, uh, his personal values and my personal values and the way we think that we should run this business is very much aligned, which is great, uh, great news, uh, because we have identified that what can separate us from the rest is be very honest, very transparent, actually call out the bullshit in blog posts and on our website. Uh, so on our main page, for example, we explain why you don't need a VPN. And that's, you know, won't really see it uh, anywhere else. But I th we think it's, it's necessary because if it's, uh, someone uses for VPNs for purposes that are, it's not designed for, for example, anonymity, it's, it definitely doesn't give you anonymity, then it can give you a false sense of security and that can be very harmful. So it's, it's these kind of lies and these kind of overselling and, you know, these kind of practices are rampant in the industry being much worse. You know, it was much worse like two or three years ago. I, I would like to think that some of our campaigns or some of our blog posts contributed to some of these um, changes in how uh, big VPN providers communicate. But uh, yeah, um, I can't be sure about that. 
but yeah, so our our we are very very strict in ethical standards. We we treat our customers that how we like to be treated. So we are Nick is the first filter, and I'm also in the in the in the first lines of filters and how we. Uh, how we build this business and how we communicate and how we think about this. Fortunately, it's uh, it's it's valued by a lot of people. So we are fed up with the uh, with the marketing practices of the big providers. Uh, it's been actually valued by uh, uh, by our customers. So it's uh, it's great to see. So can you tell us a bit more about those customers? Uh, can can you tell us some of the of the numbers that you that you may have on that? Sure. We don't uh, publish our customer numbers, but. Uh, what is interesting to us, and this backs up this uh, approach that we have. So, for uh, you know, by design and based on our own choice, we don't do ads. Uh, for example, on Facebook, we don't do. So you might see a lot of VPN ads. Just, just maybe because you listen to this podcast. So if you listen to this podcast on Spotify, Spotify might be. Uh, I'm not sure, but it might be sharing that data uh, with a data broker. You know, who's um, selling that information to advertisers. And after listening to this episode, you might get uh, ads on Reddit and your favorite social me uh, media uh, platform. You will get retargeted ads. You know, you might be interested in this great VPN. So we think these kind of practices are fundamentally uh, damaging to privacy, and we don't want to, you know, feed these kind of uh, uh, surveillance, you know, techniques. And that's quite a hardline approach, let's say. But uh, we try to stick to. Um, building the foundation of uh, people and customers and analysts uh, recommending uh, our um, our VPN. We try to build our acquisition channels uh, in a way that it's built on word of mouth and recommendations by our users and by analysts and not pay for any kind of recommendations. And uh, that yields dividends. So what kind of uh, statistics that I can share is that majority uh, 80-90% of our customers are coming from acquisition sources that are you know, either direct to our website, so we don't know where they come from, but they're not from paid ads or campaigns, or they come from search via branded search, so they search for IVPN. So this tells us that like our brand organically grows and we have a lot of recommendations. And uh, yeah, the, the other thing that is interesting is that we have put a lot of uh, emphasis on uh, cryptocurrencies. We have been uh, Bitcoin and Monero advocates and users for a long time. Uh, we really believe that it's uh, it's right now an essential tool, but it's going to be much more essential to uh, self-sovereignty um, and freedom. And we have done uh, campaigns and we accept these currencies and uh, we have seen a steady rise in uh, people that use these methods for paying our for our services. So right now it's between 30 and 35% in the past three months that is uh, not credit card and not PayPal. So it means that cryptocurrencies and we also accept cash. So you can uh, you know, put some cash in the mail and send it to us. Uh, that's a low percentage. But overall, you know, uh, we are very happy to see this kind of rise and we are very happy to see that, uh, that there's, there's a lot of people who value this type of uh, way of transacting. 
well, it's certainly very cool what you guys are doing, and I've been I've been I've been starting to be a, a user as well, and I'll be uh, I'll be reporting my experiences also to our listeners. I have about three minutes left on the clock, uh, so I wanted to ask you this. I recently did a uh, privacy training, uh, as we do internally, uh, and it's, uh, it's like outsourced from another company, and I you know you get these like animated videos, and VPNs do come up, and that was not the case. Uh, if you had done this like uh, training 10 years ago. So VPN use is considerably more widespread than it used to be. Of course, in countries where there are restrictions on which websites you can use, a lot of people are already using them, um, but uh, that is not the case everywhere. Where do you see this industry going? Do you think we're going to get to a point in the next five to 10 years where everybody has a VPN, everybody knows uh, the importance of it, or will it take a bit more time than that? It depends on uh, where things go in terms of like legislations and crackdowns and just the uh, increase in curtails of uh, civil liberties, I think. So um, I'm not holding my breath that uh, this uh, trend of what we've been seeing in the past couple of years will suddenly stop. Um, I think the the other, other aspect of this is very hard to ascertain whether it's enough to use a VPN. So right now I would say it's just a part of a toolkit and you have to use other things. But like five years ago, I think it covered like almost half of your, you know, privacy concerns online. Now that's shrinking. So there's a trend where VPN providers are adding more tools or more add-ons, you know, to their services, which this is something we do as well. We have like this tracker blocker and the, and ad blocker in the service and we have some other ideas as well so i think um, in the future more people will use vpns and i really hope that uh, that they will make a better choice uh, in regards to who they trust but what i'm concerned about is the consolidation uh, in this industry which is a natural way in the like the business cycles uh, it's uh, so like the three corporations own i think nine of the top 10 vpns and that is getting um, even more restricted in this in this sense. I've seen a recent acquisition of one of the better providers. Like two days ago, it's been bought by one of these co- uh, conglomerates, and uh, they are doing a good job. You know, I, I applaud them because b- b- based on their targets and what they want to uh, achieve, uh, they do great things. They do uh, acquisitions. Uh, they push down the cost, you know, they, they, so they do, do all those things in the playbook that needs to be done, but this restricts uh, competition. And I would like to see more smaller VPN providers, you know, uh, popping up and uh, providing differentiated services. And we would like to uh, do that as well. So that's how I see the, the industry going forward. Well, I'd actually like to extend by a minute because somebody uh, sent me a question. Um, they say, uh, I've tried to use Google Translate the app on my phone while I was using a VPN, but it didn't work when I switched off my VPN and started working again. Why is that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, there can be a number of reasons and uh, it's hard to troubleshoot in a, uh, in a distance. Uh, Google might be blocking that VPN IP that they're using for some reason, or they just, when they start that service, they expected that customer to be in a different location and they think that they are somewhat somehow abusing it. Usually it's some sort of a security rate limiting anti-abuse measures that that's why 
you will see other websites, banking websites, uh, you know, blocking more and more VPN IPs. So that, yeah, that can be one reason. Well, that's all. That's all good to know. Thank you so much, Victor. One more thing: uh, where can people find out more about your content? Where can people read up and uh, find out more information? Sure. So I blog, uh, which I've mentioned uh, in this conversation, is on ivpn.net, and we have other materials, privacy guides there as well. And uh, yeah, I would like to extend an offer if your listeners reach out to me, emailing trial at ivpn.net. I'm happy to provide a. Uh, free trial for our services and uh yeah we also uh, we are active on twitter mastodon and uh, reddit and yeah you can find us there as well well thank you so much for all of those explanations thank you for your time and thank you for joining the consumer podcast no problem thanks again thanks and that concludes this week's episode of consumer thank you so much for listening you can follow victor vache on twitter at von the dark and follow the Consumer Choice Center as well at Consumer Choice C. As always, I'm your host, Bill Wirtz, and I'll see you Thursday. You have to learn to pace yourself. Pressure. You're just like everybody else. Pressure. You've only